1: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. Not long ago, Grant, you and I were asked to participate in that spelling bee yes. for adults. It was a fundraiser for a literacy council, and we did really well. And they raised a ton of money. They raised a ton of money. But, you know, competing in a spelling bee as an adult is at least as intense <laughs> as doing it when you're in elementary school, isn't it?
1: Are you still galled?
2: I, I, let's just say that neither you nor I will ever misspell <laughs> the name of that ink blot test again. Rorschach! Rorschach! We got it
1: wrong. We Rorschach. put an H. Where there wasn't an H. We
2: did. R-O-R-S-C-H-A-C-H.
1: And not that I've been festering or thinking too much about this, but Nor I have did, I. Nor I have did I. Google the, the hell out of it. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and I found that on the German Wikipedia site, the spelling that we gave is yeah? listed as a common misspelling, even as, among Germans.
2: Well, the, so Germans get it wrong. Yeah, well- <laughs> so I feel pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, that was painful though, wasn't it? It was painful. Especially since we thought it was right. But we learned other things. We did. We learned other words that we may never use again. But there's one that I'd like to popularize, and that's homologate. Do you remember that? Homologate. I do remember
1: that, yeah. Spell it H O M O L O G A T E. Very good. Homologate.
2: And it means? I don't remember. Right. Why would you remember? It means to sanction or to allow or to approve or confirm officially. So I'm thinking that to make that next election cycle bearable, maybe we could get candidates to say at the end of their political ads, things like, I'm John Smith and I homologated this message. What do you think? Sounds
1: naughty, actually. Sort of. Well, all the better. It's like masticating at every (laughs) meal. Really?
2: (laughs) We'd love to hear your language questions, your thoughts about words. You can call us 877-929-9673 or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, hello. Hi, who's this? Uh,
0: This is Nora. Uh, I'm in uh, Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Hi, Nora. Welcome to the
2: show. Hi, Nora. What's cooking? Hi, thank you. What's up?
0: Well, um, a few weeks ago, a fellow dog walker and I were discussing... Various things. And um, I mentioned, I don't know why, but I mentioned that I did not like the way my triceps were looking and therefore I was beginning to, to do a little weightlifting at home. And she immediately smiled and said, Oh, you're talking about your high Betty's. This was an indirect thing. She has a friend who heard someone in a booth while she was trying on clothes exclaiming, Oh, I can't wear this, it shows my high betties. And so she figured out that the woman was referring to the flabby part of the underarm. Mm. <laughs> so, any idea of the origin of this? Or was it just made <laughs> up betties?
1: The- yes, <laughs> so lots of ideas. Oh boy, this is a good one. This is oh a really my gosh. good one, and there's a bunch of terms for this.
2: Oh my gosh! Are there a bunch of terms? Of course there are. They've also <laughs> been called the
1: high Helens. Yes, So yes, we're I've heard high Helen. After a certain age, the underarm, even on yes, men, even on men, yes, gets a little flabby. Yes, yes. But the and then my my, my to...
0: English uh, stepmother added to the to that when my son was just visiting her that uh, they were sometimes referred to as bingo wings. Yes. Yep. Or I've bat heard, wings. Yep. I heard yep, bingo so, so wings. You know those? Okay.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. But it, men. <laughs> You know, men in their 50s tend not to wear sleeveless garments. So you don't really see their flabby triceps. Yeah. But women <laughs> may wear sleeveless garments, dresses, or what have you, right? Right, right. And so yeah. it's more visible. Yeah, but right. the joke supposedly is... That it's from you seeing your friend Betty or Helen across the way and raising your arm to wave hello <laughs> and that tricep goes bleh, 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 yeah. That
3: is right. That is right. But You're how, like, Hi
1: Betty.
0: <laughs>
1: so it's your high how, how
0: long ago it was coined? You don't know. Well, I've seen it
1: the high Helen's version, it's exactly the same term only with a different yeah, name. Yeah. I, I found it in two thousand four in Joy Fielding's novel Lost. So we know at least goes back about nine years. Okay. But that's probably older. There are some citations on Urban Dictionary for what it's worth for high betties from 2007. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those terms that has lingered in the dressing rooms of America for decades.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the bingo wings, or I've heard them called bingo arms, or, or, you know, if you're playing bingo, then your hand is going over those cards. Right, right. Really fast. <laughs> and, you um, know... <and> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Your triceps are flapping, about ready yeah. to take yeah, off. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Another one that I've heard that I just love is Flying Squirrel. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, because, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I see the
2: image. Yeah, that might be the, I might switch to Flying Squirrel. <laughs> I, I like Flying Squirrel. And I
1: think High Betty is because you have to yeah. explain the backstory to really get it. Yeah. I think that's a good one.
3: Yeah.
2: Or
1: High Helens.
2: Yeah, Reasons for Sleeves. <laughs>
1: Nora, thank you so much for calling about this. This is a fun one. you know what? I bet we're going to get a dozen more terms in email and phone. Absolutely. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm looking forward to
1: them. All right. Take care, no. <laughs> Thank right. you much.
0: Yep. Bye-bye. bye
1: What do you call the flabby flesh on your arms? You know, the triceps that used to be so firm and buff but now kind of flap in the breeze?
2: Yeah. I have friends who call it armagello <laughs> <laughs> or arm waddles. <laughs> oh,
1: no. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org.
2: I keep getting emails from listeners who are telling us terms for tourists in their towns. Yes. You know, like Tourons being sort of a negative term for mm-hmm. tourists who come to your town and spend their money and then. Touron
1: being a combination of tourist and moron. Yes.
2: We got one that I hadn't seen before. This one's from David Flannery and he lives in the Florida Panhandle. And he says there, tourists are called, wait for it, it's great, sand dollars.
1: Sand dollars. Sand
2: dollars. Isn't that great? Why? Because they come and enjoy the sand on the beach, and they spend lots of dollars.
1: (laughs) Okay, straightforward. And they
2: they pick up sand dollars. Sure, okay. I love that.
1: I like that, yeah, and it's not pejorative like the others are. I mean, it does kind of see them as money bags, but not that insulting.
2: Income, income (laughs) coming in. We like that. 877-929-9673.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
4: Yes, sir. Is this Grant?
1: This is Grant. Who am I speaking with?
4: You're speaking with Richard Ramirez from Fort Worth, Texas.
1: Welcome to the show, Richard.
4: Well, I grew up in North Texas, actually, in, in the country more than, than anything else, and uh, I always heard a word most of my life. It was, they, they mentioned redneck, they called some people redneck, and I always wondered where he came from,
3: mm-hmm. and, and being
4: an avid reader, I was reading a Stephen King novel the other day, or a book, and it called Back of Bones, and he was describing a scene in Maine from the 1900s, and that word popped up again. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, is it a northern thing, or is it across the pond where he came from? Because he was describing some Irish people, Ah. what they did, and he called them redneck.
1: Redneck, R-E-D-N-E-C-K, right?
4: Yes, sir. There's a big culture of it. I've been called one, too, but I've got a brown neck.
1: (laughs) Do you take it as an insult?
4: No, never.
1: Do you take it for pride?
4: Some people do it. Do take it that way, and, and um, they they say that I sound redneck because the way I, uh, my accent.
2: Oh, Richard, how would you define a redneck? Uh,
4: somebody that works in the country, a farmer, um, of a small town.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: That that type of person that works that works outdoors.
2: Because mm-hmm.
4: we hear the term a lot. Farmers tan too.
2: Mm-hmm. Farmers tan. Yeah.
4: And I and I have a I have, I have what you call a farmer's tent. I grew up farming in a small town.
3: Mm-hmm. I was raised
4: by grandparents and so they had a cash lease on land so since I was a toddler I was driving tractors and doing everything that you know of. Mm-hmm. And but but one day I was passing through I have a daughter that was going to college in in, in college station, Texas, which is Texas A and M is where she was going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's a lot of people from that class of people that I just mentioned and and I stopped at this place, and because uh, this organization that's worldwide, and I greeted this gentleman, and first word out of his mouth was said, "You're a redneck." Did you punch mm-hmm. him? It had to be the way I found it, I guess.
1: Uh huh. Richard, did you punch him?
4: Uh, no. No. I mean, we just, we just. It, it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't, I don't take insults from anybody or. Or it doesn't bother me, what people say. Yeah, well, I think,
2: yeah, for a lot of people, redneck is a point of pride now.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's a
2: term that's been reclaimed, like so many terms that have yes, started is. out as negative. But I think your hunch about the um, redneck coming from one's neck getting red when one works in the sun, like a farmer's tan, is the most likely etymology.
1: This term goes back at least to the 1830s and probably older, and it, and it arises in the Carolinas and then soon spreads to the rest of the country and is, as we talked about, often taken as a point of pride, though, it's got to come from somebody you know and love, not somebody who you think of as a stranger or an enemy.
2: Yeah, it depends on the context.
4: Oh, yes, because they, they think it's kind of derogatory. You're putting them down.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And,
4: and, and, and I don't think of it that way. I, 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 I'm proud of who I am, where I came from.
2: Well, you sound pretty great to us.
4: I do.
1: <laughs> yeah, you sound just fine. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for your call. Really appreciate it.
4: Listen, y'all have a fabulous week. All Good right, time. we bye-bye. will now.
2: Thanks, Richard. Uh, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> but I think more and more people are claiming redneck as a uh, as a point of pride. Oh, yeah,
1: there's no doubt. There's songs, there's movies, there's books, bumper stickers. I've seen it on T-shirts and bandanas and and well, belt,
2: and now and belt buckles. And now we have from here comes Honey Boo Boo. We have redneckignize. <laughs> 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 Y'all better redneckignize. Yeah, I've
1: got a family that considers itself proudly redneck. Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. A, what it is. It, it, there's an underlying notion that you are authentic. Yeah. There's nothing fake about you and right. what you do, and right. you treat people fairly like you want to be treated it's exactly kind of, it comes back down to these basic notions of uh, human civility
2: as you know that is why i like the honey boo boo show so much <laughs> i get so much flack for that but it's really true i think you know i mean there's such a stereotype about rednecks being prejudiced mm-hmm. but i think there's a lot of prejudice against rednecks yeah. and that comes Works out in the reactions for sure, right yeah and it might be yeah.
1: classist or elitist prejudice but it's still prejudice yeah mm.
2: <laughs> what do y'all think 877-929-9673
1: I was looking in old texts on Google Books again and found a collection of English proverbs from the 1850s. And I've got a couple for you. They're in old language, but I think the sentiment is clear here. Try the pair of these. Novelty always appears handsome, and new dishes beget new appetites.
2: Oh, wow. I like the second one especially.
1: New New dishes beget new appetites. So I'm thinking in the modern day, we see this. You've got a phone. It works perfectly. There's nothing wrong with it. And yet the new model comes out and you go buy it, even though it is exactly the same stuff. It's a little shinier, it's new, it's up to date. And we have this fascination with, shiny and the new, don't we?
2: Right. Novelty. So we get the
1: concept. It's just the language of expressing these ideas is archaic to us or at least old fashioned, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I especially like the dishes. We don't really think about
1: that. No. And baguette. (laughs) We don't use baguette much anymore (laughs) except that we're in Bible study class.
2: (laughs) It's sort of like hunger is the best spice, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) If you've got a proverb to share, 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org.
2: more Lexitude as A Way With Words continues.
1: Got a minute? We need your help.
2: Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey.
1: Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success.
2: Thanks for making our show even more successful.
1: That's gum.fm slash words.
2: Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And I'm Grant Barrett. And we're joined now by our quiz guide, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. I'm back. Hi, welcome back. What's going on in New York City? Today's quiz for you guys
5: is rather straightforward as quizzes go. I'm going to quiz you on a certain subset of words and see what you know. Now, you might know a lot, you might not, but the subject of the quiz is fandoms. Fandoms, Fandoms, like Fandoms. being a fan of something. That's right. If okay. you are a fan of something, anything, there is a massive group of people just like you out there, and they have a name for themselves. Mm. Now, among the most well-known examples is the term for fans of the Star Trek TV and movie mm-hmm. franchise, and they are known as, of course... Trekkers. Trekkers. Trekkers or Trekkies, either one. I'll give you some clues. You just tell me some answers. Now, one caveat. You must admit if you identify as one of these fans. I am a Trekkie, by the way. I have a Star Trek wallet in my pocket. Okay. 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 All right. Here we go. Fans of the British sci-fi series Doctor Who call themselves what? Whovians. Whovians is correct. Very good. I identify as a Whovian, just so you know. How familiar are you with the book movie series The Hunger Games? That's my question. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Okay. What term from the book do Hunger Games fans call themselves?
2: Uh, Rumblings?
5: No, it's the name of the bird, right? Not the bird, no. The, the, it's not, not jays, No. Hmm.
2: Mm. I'll
5: give you a hint. It's Webster's definition is, something given or contributed voluntarily as due or deserved, especially a gift or service showing respect, gratitude, or affection.
3: Tributes?
5: Yes, right. tributes. Because, because each
1: go. each region sends tributes to the main city to fight. Hmm. That's right, and yeah. the fans call themselves tributes. No, I, I,
5: mean, not, uh, I like the Hunger Games, but I'm not a tribute. <laughs> Perhaps the oldest known obsessive fans, this group tends to refer to the object of their affection as a historical figure rather than a fictional character. Holmesians. That's right, Holmesians.
3: Oh, yeah. I'd
5: also accept Sherlockians. Oh yeah, the Baker, sort of an American, Street
3: Irregulars. the
5: Baker Street Regulars. The Baker Street Regulars is an invitation-only literary society, as a, a subset of the of the Holmesians. But oh, yeah, okay. that's, that's good knowing. Coined by the artist herself. What is the preferred term for fans of the singer known as Lady Gaga? Monsters.
2: Yeah, her little monsters. Almost. Oh, little not? monsters, right? Little,
5: little is monsters is correct. Yeah.
1: Very good. It's like I a mean, hand gesture they do, right?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Fans of the erstwhile paranormal television show The X-Files mm-hmm. are known as what? I have no idea. Now, I didn't think you would, so I'll give you a hint. This is this is your hint. They are known as X-Files, but how is that different from the name of the show? <sighs>
2: Spelled
5: with a pH? It's spelled with a pH, exactly. <laughs> very good. Not all of these are TV shows or movies. Besides train spotters, what is the term for someone who is obsessed with railroads and trains? Oh. Twitchers? No. That's, um, that's the birders.
2: Oh.
5: It? I have a feeling this is in the back of Martha's head. It's right back there. Oh Family. The Foamers, pl- very yeah. good. What three movie sci fi franchise has a fan base known as Backies? Star Wars,
1: Back to the Future.
2: Oh, Back to the Future is
5: correct. Yes, I was
2: thinking Chewbacca.
5: (laughs) That's very good. If I'm not mistaken, if you're a fan of Star Wars, you are a Jedi. Oh, right, right. (laughs) Very good. Just a few more. If you're a ringer, you're a fan of what book series?
2: Lord of Lord of
5: the Rings. Very good. Mm -hmm. Here's one more. Many fans are diehard but fans of what book and movie series are twihards? Oh, Twilight. <laughs> Twilight is correct. Of twihards. course, they fall into the subcategories of team Jacob and team Edward, of course. Mm-hmm. So, you guys did terrifically wonderful on your what what are the Away with Words fans? I was gonna what are ask. they called? That's that's your project for for this week. We hmm. need a a fan a fandom name for Away with Words. We might bad.
2: have to ask them. Well, yeah.
1: if you've got a fandom name for Away with Words, give us a call, 877 929 9673. John, thank you very much for a wonderful quiz.
5: Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Martha.
1: And if you've got questions about language or books or literature or poetry or anything at all, send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have Away with Words.
6: Good morning. Good morning. Who is this? This is Jim Strain. I'm calling from La Mesa, California. Hi, Hi Jim. Jim. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much.
1: What can we help you with?
6: Well, this is a, uh, a question from my wife, Diana, actually. Uh, she says that she's wondered for years about a word that uh, was used in her family. She thought you guys might know it. The word is ephus, and she spells it E-P-H-U-S, but she says that's her best guess. And uh, she says uh, it would be like when a dog gets up on the couch and he's not allowed to, but he, he makes himself very quiet and inconspicuous. And he, he can ephus his way onto the couch.
2: Nice. Ephus is a verb. So he's sneaking in there. Yeah. Yeah.
6: yeah. I know dogs who do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, the little head on your lap and all of that. Yeah. Well, there is an ephus pitch in baseball that's really sneaky.
6: I had heard of that one, yes. Yeah. You
2: had. Yeah, that's usually spelled E-E-P-H-U-S.
1: Ah. And that's a high pitch that goes yeah. way up. It looks yeah, like, yeah. A, it like a looks like a child throw through it, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's an overhand throw, but it but it goes about 25 feet in the air, and then it drops suddenly in, in the strike zone, and it's a really risky pitch for pitchers. I mean, batters hate it because because it goes like two-thirds as fast as most um, balls, and so sometimes they miss it completely, mm. right. but other times it goes into the stands. So but it's a
1: stunt pitch, right?
2: Yeah, you can see videos of this online. They're pretty funny. Right. There was a famous guy, uh, what was his name, Rip Sewell, mm-hmm. who was with the Pittsburgh Pirates, who you made that famous in uh, the 1940s in the All-Star Games.
6: I've heard people talk about it, but I don't think I've ever seen it yet.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. You should go online. and we, Actually, we can link to a video on our website about that.
1: Oh, that'd be great. And a little older than that. There's an ephes that was used for a time uh, to mean insider information, yeah. or inside dope. The lowdown. The lowdown. Con- the low down. the yeah. connection there, again, is that it's a, something sneaky, something not quite above board that's um, not on the up and up.
6: Well, that kind of sounds related. Yeah, Yeah, likely is. You know,
1: slang tends to fluctuate like that with its meanings. But I wonder where your wife and her family learned that word.
6: Well, uh, Diana got it from uh, her mom, and uh, her mom uh, said she got it from uh, her husband, Mm -hmm. who was Di's dad, and he was from Kansas. Mm
2: -hmm. But uh,
6: she said she never heard heard it used that way outside of her family.
2: Hmm. Hmm. And were they big baseball fans?
6: Not particularly. No. Mm -hmm. And. uh, but it's one of those things that, you know, I've heard, you know, Diane and I have been married for so long. I've heard it for years, and I can't, I don't think I ever heard it before her, but I don't know if I did or not. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I don't know, Grant, have you heard ephesing used as a verb like that? I, I have not. I
1: never have, not no. For that.
2: But mm-hmm. I like it. It's perfect for dogs. He's
1: ephusing his way onto the couch and you're not looking.
2: Ephusing stuff off the table. That's my experience with dogs.
1: There was one more variant, ephus Opus, who also meant inside dope back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah. So, we're probably talking 40s or 50s, as far back as we can trace it.
2: So popularized by baseball, and maybe it has to do with that little extra ephus that you put on a pitch or something. I've seen that, you know, mm-hmm. the little extra whatever, you know. Not yeah. quite the
1: English, the little, little extra American that you put on the ball, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Well, thanks for calling.
6: Well, thank you so much. You've been take, very helpful. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
2: Yeah, that ephus pitch is also known as a blooper ball or a parachute or a balloon ball or a rainbow pitch. So it just goes pitch.
1: straight up, and it comes almost straight down right on top of the plate. Yeah. And you can't do your normal gauging of speed and distance, right? Yeah, so when yeah. You these
2: big guys, and they're at the plate. And they're whiffing it. Yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> so we will link to video of that online. It's pretty funny. 877-929-9673. I saw my first frunk the other day. Frunk.
1: A frunk. Can you say that on the air?
2: Oh gosh, I hope so. What is it? <laughs> it's um well, a friend of mine just bought a Tesla, mm-hmm. you know, one of those new electric cars. And the trunk is in the front. Oh. So and like a VW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Field big style and really. Yeah. Oh, and Tesla nice. is trying to popularize the term frunk.
1: Frunk. The front truck, very good. And a Tesla. How's it drive? Have you tried it?
2: It's a beautiful car. I haven't been in it yet. Oh. Eleanor, let me drive it. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
2: Hello. Hi, who's this? This is Linda O. Strike from La Mesa.
1: Hi, Linda. Welcome to the program.
7: Hi, Linda. Well, I um I do a little teaching on the side at UCSD extension and my students brought up something that I went out and Googled and then I couldn't find one answer and that was the origin of the phrase a rule of thumb. Aha.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. What did they heard?
7: Well, the two very different places where one which is the one I thought it was was it had something to do with carpenters and measuring and you know, approximately an inch from your thumb joint to the tip. I also found some stuff that talked about the width of your thumb for carpenters, but then the one that really made us talk was the fact that there is actually supposedly some old trial data that talks about men were no, not able to beat their wives with a stick any wider or thicker than their thumb. Mm-hmm. I could not really find a definitive answer online, and I thought, well, The best thing to do is go to Martha and Grant and see what they say.
2: So your question really has two parts, and one of the parts is about the etymology of the rule of thumb itself. When you talk about a rule of thumb, what you're talking about is a practical measure sort of based on experience, an informal guideline, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, right? Correct as a rule of thumb, and as far as we know, there was never actually a law on the books passed in English law that said that. But there have been legal opinions where judges have mentioned things like um, there was there was a judge in the 1780s who uh, wrote wrote a legal opinion saying that that was a good idea to uh, to let a man beat a wife as long as his stick was less than a thumb in width, and that may have reflected an idea floating around at the time, but the expression of rule of thumb had been in use at least 100 years before that. Oh, In good. exactly the kind of way you're talking about, as as a unit of measure when you're um, you know building something, carpenter, you're literally measuring putting cloth.
1: your thumb up against yeah. something to, as a guide.
2: Yeah, and was it from the joint to the tip, or was it the width
7: across? Because I did find both of those as well when I did my googling.
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. Hmm. Maybe I don't know. either way,
1: right? Yeah, maybe either way. Yeah. I, I think it's the joint to the tip, though.
7: That's what I had always thought until, like I said, this just recently came up, and uh, it was. I found it interesting because we had started the discussion in a completely different place, and this is a discussion board, you know, so you Mm -hmm. don't have quite the interaction as you do in a face-to-face class, but even so, it was nice to get off track and onto something kind of fun.
1: This is one of those... Folk etymologies that won't die, though the rule of thumb doesn't come from a law. There never was a law. There were some judicial decisions, but there was never a law.
2: Yeah, I mean the fact is that the courts haven't always been uh, friends of uh, victims of domestic violence. Right. There was uh, the Joiner versus Joiner case in 1862, which um, is really worth reading. It's it's a divorce case, and uh, the uh, judicial ruling there was that there are circumstances under which a husband may strike his wife with a horsewhip or may strike her several times with a switch so hard as to leave my, marks on her person, but that's oh not enough goodness. for uh, grounds for divorce.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the oh. rule of thumb expression, the idiom, existed long before that there's no sourcing there to the rules. Yeah, or the yeah, laws, no so cause just, and effect yeah, there no in terms effect, of the yeah. etymology. But oh. unfortunately this is one of the things that won't die, and the, every time you use rule of thumb you are at risk of somebody leaping out and saying <laughs> you're sexist, but they're exactly. wrong. Exactly, yeah.
7: exactly. They're wrong. So well, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'll go back to what I had remembered and learned from many years ago myself. And you know, like I said, this this new thing it really was new for me. And as the instructor, you know, I'm supposed to know everything. So yeah, well,
2: definitely <laughs> worth discussing. I mean, domestic violence. Yeah, or is... at
1: least have better contacts like Martha and Grant as the instructor, <laughs> I, right?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> I will be sharing this Okie doke. Okay. Well, well thanks, thank Linda. you so much, Linda. You're
8: very welcome. Bye-bye. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Bye. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words.
8: Hello, this is Jerry from San Diego.
2: Hey, Jerry, welcome.
1: Hi, Jerry, welcome to the show. How can Thank we you help? very much. Yeah, sure, what's up?
8: Well, I have this uh, quick question for you. So a friend of mine and I, we work as food servers um, at a restaurant here in San Diego, and um, I witnessed something the other day that just really uh, was profound and it encouraged me to uh, contact you guys. So... As food servers, the only refuge you have if the customers frustrate you, or somewhere in the parking lot, or somewhere back in the kitchen, where mm-hmm. you can just kind of mumble things under your breath, or just kind of voice any sort, release any sort of tension. Mm-hmm. So the other day, my coworker was in the back, and she just yelled out really loud Saka punta," and I thought, "Oh my god," because it sounds like a really bad word. And I said, you know, I told her, I said, what are you doing? They might, you know, the customers might hear you. She's like, I don't care. You know, they, they, uh, you know, I don't care if they hear me. It's not a bad word anyway. And I said, well, what do you mean? That sounds terrible. And she said, oh, well, sacapunta means pencil sharpener in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just wondering if, if you guys ever experienced anything like that where, you know, someone would need a real release to... Let out some tension where the word may sound really bad or naughty, but uh, it really isn't.
2: Yeah. Well, I've never heard anybody yell pencil sharpener.
8: <laughs> Me either.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Although that's an idea.
1: <laughs> but it's good. it sounds naughty. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's a good one.
2: Yeah. Sacapuntas.
1: I'm not one of those people who shies away from four letter words off the air. No. But I know plenty of people who do, and they need that release, and they'll say things mm-hmm. like puppies. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, or or my elbow, things like that.
2: <laughs> Fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks. Yeah, That's fairly common,
1: saying. innocuous stuff where you still have the force and
8: energy yeah. of a curse word yeah. without
1: the actual cursing.
8: Yes.
2: Jerry is your coworker, a native Spanish speaker?
8: No, but one of the cooks had told her who was uh, uh, Spanish speaking had told her that years ago. She's been in the business for a while, so mm-hmm. she kind of saves that one for when she really needs a release.
2: Mm-hmm. So. It's great, yeah. I don't know that it's uh, used that widely in Spanish, but in parts of Mexico, yeah, you do hear, sacapuntas. Oh,
1: as yeah. an interjection?
2: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 in Baja and Sinaloa, oh, for sure. I love it. Yeah, nice. yeah, and uh, the phrase sacapunta means, uh, you know, literally to sharpen a pencil, but it also means to, um, to if somebody says something to you, you find whatever is bad about it, like like they're saying something to you and you take it bad when it's not really I see. Take it as criticism. Take it
1: the wrong way. Oh, interesting. That's really cool. But we have a ton of words in English that are either euphemisms of more straight up, kind of obscene or taboo words. Yeah. And there's a culture of inventing new pseudo curse words just because... You want something safe to say, you kind of train yourself to say the safe thing so that the wrong thing doesn't come out at the wrong time.
2: And that's a great example of it. There's, yeah.
1: Jerry, there's a great book that I recommend on this. This is called The Craptastic Guide to Pseudo-Swearing by Michelle witty. <laughs> I believe W-I-T-T-E. <laughs> oh, okay. And she, yeah, The Craptastic guide. guide to Pseudo-Swearing. And it's just filled with this kind of thing, all kinds of euphemistic terms and expressions that people have come up with so they, they don't actually have to say the real
8: word. Well, that's great. I'll pass it along to my friend, I'm sure. I'll probably have to get it to her for Christmas or her birthday or something.
1: Yeah, all kinds of options in there, the kinds of things. That, and I understand the refuge in the kitchen. I totally get yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I think my wife, when she needs escape, she just goes to the bathroom and locks the door. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, now she has something to say in there, too, right? Yes. <laughs> <Sacabintes>. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Jerry. All right, thank you, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, bye. She also has in her book, Michelle Witte, in her book, uh, The Craptastic Guide to Pseudo-Swearing, the top 10 pseudo-swears. Oh, let's
2: hear them. Or some of them.
1: I think we can say these all oh, yeah? on the air. Okay. Yeah. So starting at 10, 10 on down is darn, flip, dang, shoot, gosh, fudge, heck, crap, freak, and sugar.
2: That sounds like almost my entire <laughs> vocabulary of oh, swearing. Oh, sugar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three.
1: I was browsing a glossary of horse-related terms, mm-hmm. and you know how it is when you dive into the language of a hobby or profession oh, or do another I ever. universe? Love there's it. There's a bunch of stuff here that really caught my eye, but I wanted to share one of them with you. Okay. The term daisy cutting, and it's described as the low action or walk or trot, like you might see in a thoroughbred or an Arabian. Mm-hmm. And so there's a particular way that their hooves go that is like they're cutting the daisies yeah, as they walk. Yeah. And it reminds me of the daisy cutter explosive. Oh, and in baseball as well. So there're numerous daisy cutters and always about something happening in a cutting or explosive or sharp way low to the ground, right? Right. So a daisy cutter explosive is something that like fires out shrapnel at a low uh, low angle and uh, the baseball is a low hit
2: yeah it's like a grounder like yeah. a grounder yeah, yeah so interesting cutter. the
1: daisy cutter comes in these three different realms and yet the term uh-huh. makes perfect horses sense. too huh. horses too i didn't know that
2: 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org
1: more of your questions about language stay tuned Thank you. You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. One of the many joys of adopting a dog is coming up with a name for the animal. And I have a list, Grant, of the top 10 puppy names for 2012. Okay. This is from uh, the vetstreet.com website. See if you notice anything about them. For female dogs, we have Bella, Daisy, Lucy, Molly, and Lola. And for male dogs, the top ones are Max, Buddy, Charlie, Rocky, and Cooper. Anything strike you about all those names?
1: Uh, Not really. No. What are you after?
2: I'm after the fact that they're all human names.
1: Oh, of course. You
2: know, when I was young, I had a couple of dogs growing up, and one was named Traveler, and one was named Tuffy. But as an adult, I named them Alice and Lloyd and Lucy and Lily Mm -hmm. and Juan. And I don't know if that says anything about our relationship with... They are
1: increasingly a part of the family, not merely an yeah. animal. Yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, um, William Sapphire did a did an informal survey of his readers and and found that same thing back in the 1980s. I hmm. I wonder if that says something about so us. So
1: cats aren't fluffy anymore. They're Lily and Lola and.
2: Well, it's interesting. Cats are a little bit more inscrutable because among the top 10 names for cats are Kitty, Tiger, Tigger, and Smokey. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm making too much of that, but the reason I was thinking about this is I was reading a book called Medieval Pets. It's by Kathleen Walker-Michael, who's a historian at the University of York in England. And she talks about um, people who owned pets in the Middle Ages. It was mostly women, mostly clerics, and then later scholars often had small dogs. And I was fascinated by some of the names that she includes in this book for dogs in the Middle Ages. And here's some examples. Amiable. (laughs) Can you imagine going out into the street and saying, Amiable!
1: Amiable. (laughs)
2: Amiable. And there's also Trinket and Nosewise. Oh, I like Trinket. You like Trinket? Trinket's good, right? For a little multi poo uh, or something. Yeah, a little teacup dog, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trinket. And how about Nosewise and (laughs) Smellfest?
1: Smell fest. That's when yeah. you go to the, the food court at the mall. You have a smell fest.
2: <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Or just a dog sticking his head out the window, right? Smell fest. There we go. Well, I guess they didn't have cars back then. But
1: Sticking his head but... out of the wagon.
2: <laughs> and here are two um, dog names from the Middle Ages. They must be male dogs because they're clench and hold fast.
1: Oh, so they've got these strong jaws. Maybe they're fighting dogs. <laughs> oh, that's,
2: that's what you were thinking. Some I kind of was, terrier. Oh, I was thinking about grabbing your leg. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Security dogs, then. But I think we only have a pet problem if we start naming them after ourselves. So if I had a dog and I named it Grant Jr., then we yeah. really have a problem.
2: <laughs> that would be a big problem.
1: People are like, I thought you were talking about your son. I'm like,
2: well, that's he's actually like an a interesting son. idea, Grant Jr. 877 929
1: 9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and we are all over Facebook and Twitter.
9: Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, Martha and Grant. This is Randy Cole from Dallas, Texas.
1: Hi, Randy. Hey Randy, what's up?
9: Well, I have a two-word question. This is about two words that I heard when I was growing up in in eastern Colorado. And uh, I heard them from uh, someone who broadcast the play-by-play on the local radio station. Mm -hmm. He would broadcast the Friday night football games. And when a team was uh, not doing well, he would say something like, they're going to have to show some real spizzerringdom and de buck if they're going to win this game. And so my two words are spizzerringdom and huckledee buck.
1: Spizzerringdom and de buck. What do you take that to mean?
9: Well, I, I, I think I know what they mean because the context is, is pretty good, and I, and I looked them up. It's, yeah, I'm more curious probably about their origin and where they came from. And spizorinctum seems to mean fire or passion mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe even uh, nerve, as in a kind of a Gentile version of chutzpah. And then huckily buck means grit and determination and just getting the job done.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. We actually have a bunch of citations for spizorinctum on our website in our dictionary because I spent some time collecting a wide variety of spellings for this term going back to the 1840s. And, and a lot of different spellings, and they almost always mean, as you say, vim or vigor or energy or oomph or um, just spirit. Sometimes you'll find it as the name of a ladies' club or the school yearbook or the school high school newspaper. Um, sometimes it appears in sports context just as it did when you heard it. Um, it's really interesting we don't know the origin of Spitzerrington but the speculation that I've seen that I really like is that it's false Latin
2: that was going to be my guess (laughs) sort of from that same era
1: yeah it sounds vaguely naughty but isn't let's just get that out of the way but it probably means um, I'm sorry it's probably meant to replicate the look and feel and sound in the mouth the mouth feel of a Latin word yeah except for that is
2: in there but I think that gives it fizz or
1: Mm -hmm. bubbliness yeah it sounds like pizzazz yeah 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 And now huckledee buck is another case, which uh, it's really great that you bring this to our attention. It is a term that has been widely used for probably more than 100 years, and its meaning is hard to pin down because the context isn't always clear. It can mean energy, like the energy or force that you put into something like um, they went into a game with a lot of huckledee buck and they pulled out a win. But it can also mean commotion or craziness. Um, hmm. He came home from work and his house was all in a Huckleberry Buck because his daughters had three of their friends over, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so it can mean that yeah. as well. But what I love about Huckleberry Buck is that it's not in any dictionary that I can find under no spelling that I've checked. And this is really interesting that a word can exist in English for more than 100 years and yet be unrecorded in any of the dictionaries. I mean, I have hundreds of dictionaries. Um the best works that I checked it's not in them. So crazy to me. So spizzering some who was the guy that used this? That sounds they both sound incredibly old fashioned to me.
9: Well, he was he was not an old person. He was perhaps in his 40s and he owned the local radio station mm-hmm. and uh, and which I actually worked as a teenage disc jockey for on weekends and uh,
2: I was going to say that sounds like a radio voice to me. <laughs> and
9: and uh, I'm not sure whether he originated. I, I think I remember my English teacher uh, using it humorously, and people around town would use it, you know, because hmm. everybody listened to the games, right. and, uh, and it, it, it spread widely. And people would would use it sort of with a smile
1: on their face. One of the more common spellings of spizzorinkum, if you want to look it up on our website, is spiz. E-R-I-N-C-T-U-M Sometimes it's a double Z -Z S-P-I-Z-E-R-I-N-C-T-U-M And -hmm. you'll find a bunch of citations for this A bunch of different terms It's really, really interesting how far back it goes To the 1840s at least Mm -hmm. Long, long history Mm -hmm. Huckleberry Buck I've got to do an entry for that, Martha Do it We should not (laughs) let words not go unrecorded (laughs) in the dictionary, right?
2: Especially that one Huckleberry Buck Yeah
1: We'll wait to see it in the new dictionary All right, thank you so much for your call, Randy
2: Thanks, Randy
9: Thanks very much. I really enjoy your show, learn a lot, and uh, you guys really do good work. Oh, thank you. you. Very much.
2: Thanks so Take much, Bye bye. Bye bye. Call us 877 929 9673. Hi, you have a way with words.
10: Hello. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. How are you? Hey, Hi, What's doing up? well. Who's this? Hi, this is Todd calling from Dallas, Texas. How are you? Doing well. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How can we well, help you? My question kind of stems from, I was rewatching watching um, a favorite movie mine, Clue, and um, in it, one of the characters um, says the line, um, you ain't just whistling Dixie. And I realized that I've sort of appropriated that and used it um, from time to time, but I have no idea what the origin or history of that is.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How do they use it in the and movie? What's happening in the movie when this comes up?
10: Um, I believe it was Miss Scarlet. And it's like, you know, if you've seen the movie, there's, you know, all sorts of chaos going on with all the bodies. And um, there's like a guy who knocked on the door, and he's talking about the end of days and everything. And um, she says, "Well, you just ain't with Lynn Dixie, kind of like, you're not kidding, or that's an understatement. Right,
1: exactly. It's often used in the negative that way to mean you're telling the truth or you said something that's extremely true.
10: Yes, exactly, exactly. And it just kind of got me thinking that I actually have no idea what the origin of it is. And when I tried looking it up, all I really came up with was people discussing kind of what it means and some song lyrics. So I thought I'd, I'd ask you guys.
1: Well, that's the start of the information about Whistling Dixie because there is the song that okay. probably all the way down south in the land of cotton, mm. that one, that, uh, yeah. you know, the, yes. the, the, general, the General Lee, the general <laughs> Lee the Dix of Hazzard, right. the sound yeah. of the car horn, that song, that's the one that we're talking <laughs> okay. about. And so okay. it's really interesting. We don't find the expression whistling Dixie to mean speaking the truth or speaking plainly about something until the 1940s, which is well after the American Civil War. Oh,
11: wow. So it's not yeah.
1: contemporary with the song. The song itself actually predates the South being called Dixie, and actually calling the South Dixie comes from the song. It pops oh, up really? in the stages in New York City among in blackface and minstrel shows in the 1850s. Um, it's an incredibly catchy song. I know just that little snippet that I just sang is mm-hmm. now going to have hundreds of thousands of people whistling and humming the song <laughs> to themselves all day long.
2: You have my toe tapping. <laughs>
1: yeah. It, it is a catchy tune. I mean, it might nearly be the perfect catchy tune. Um, And so what you find if you look in newspapers and and plays and, 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 and reviews of stage shows ever since the 1850s, this song was a mainstay in the repertoire of performers of all sorts. You found it in vaudeville shows. It was worked into patriotic kind of presentations during the Civil War. On both sides, sometimes the lyrics were changed. It pops uh-huh. up again and again as a thing that you might teach a child to do. And the whistling comes into it. People would teach their birds to whistle it. They would teach their children to whistle oh, wow. it. They would talk about a woman. Maybe she shouldn't whistle because women whistling Dixie was something somehow kind of not a good thing. But it's a very catchy song. It's very happy, it's jaunty, it's got a kind of devil-may-care attitude about it, and the song lyrics themselves, depending which version you use, tend Mm -hmm. to be about somebody looking far away for something that they want and can't have, and wistful about a thing that seems desirable and and better than whatever's in front of them now. And so we have all of these kind of combining together to say, if you're whistling Dixie, you are acting in an attitude as if um, you have not a care in the world, and whatever's happening is... uh, Perfectly all right by you, and off you go, whistling Dixie into the sunset, and um, and then here we are today with whistling Dixie, meaning that you um, you speak uh, plainly about the truth. Oh, wow. Okay,
2: that's really cool. There might be a logical leap
1: in there that's hard to make, but it seems natural to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Originally, the song was uh, a a person in blackface being nostalgic about time on the plantation, right? A freed slave. It changed
1: pretty quickly, though. Um, But there are many, many different versions of the lyrics running around out there. Yeah, it's a
2: jaunty song. A jaunty song. But (laughs) what surprises
1: most people, Taj, is the fact that the song is where Dixie as a term for the South comes from.
2: I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the other way around. So Mm -hmm. that's really cool. It's a jaunty song, but some people do find it offensive.
1: Yeah, definitely, because it does Mm -hmm. come from a minstrel past. It does come Mm -hmm. from a black-faced history. It did come from this false representation of uh, slaves as preferring the plantation. Um, Mm -hmm. Today, there's a lot of baggage with it, and Mm -hmm. if you sing Mm -hmm. this song, some people are going to assume that you you are hinting at your coded intentions without speaking plainly about yeah exactly yeah Jesse Helms did that yeah by by using the lyrics, you're suggesting you're kind of giving a dog whistle to your your friends oh, and family, it. to say, I'm with you. I can't say plainly what I really think about this, but I'm just telling mm-hmm. you that I liked the way things were. You're dog whistling, okay.
2: Dixie. Yeah. Okay. So lots wow. of history there.
10: Definitely, which that that's really cool. I really appreciate all the information. So that just adds a lot more to to that, that little phrase there for me. So.
2: Well, we're delighted that you called, Taj. Thank you. No
10: problem. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: If a word has you puzzled, call us, 877-929-9673. We heard from Vera Algoet, who lives in Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, and she shared a phrase that I am going to adopt myself that she learned when she was living in Arkansas. When people decided to invite her over to supper, they'd say, we'll knock a tater in the head or something. (laughs) (laughs) Come on over. We'll knock a tater in the head or something. (laughs) Isn't that a great way to describe making dinner? Yeah, that's kind of a reduced
1: form of killing the fatted calf.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And vegetarian. I love it. (laughs)
1: 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And we are all over
2: social media. Hello, you have a way with words.
11: Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. This is Deanna calling from Dundee, Quebec, Canada. Hi. Hi
1: there. What's up?
11: Um, Not much. Welcome (laughs) to the show. Thank you. How can we help you, Deanna? Okay, so I have to give you a little bit of background to this story before I can ask my question. Okay. Um, So my husband is originally from Slovakia, and he moved to Canada into Quebec um, when he was a child, and as such, learned French. um, When he learned English, when he was a teenager. So English is his third language. Um, When we bought our first house together, it was, um, I guess the best way to describe it is a fixer-upper, and it needed a lot of work and a lot of cleaning as it had sat vacant for several years. Mm -hmm. So when we were first getting everything ready, we were cleaning the kitchen and having a really tough time removing some grime from the walls and the cupboards in order to paint them. We tried a couple different cleaning products, all different stuff. Nothing was working very well. So finally, he kind of gave up and just left it to me. Um, So a couple hours later, he came back, and I had gotten most of it clean, and he said, well, what did you use to get it clean? And I said, oh, well, elbow grease. So he looks at me for just a second and pauses and says, well, where do you buy that?
3: (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
11: So after I laughed at him for a second, I explained to him that it was a euphemism that meant hard work, but... He replied that that doesn't make sense, as so many things in English don't.
3: Mm-hmm.
11: Um, and honestly, once I thought about it, I realized it really doesn't. So how did elbow grease come to mean hard work?
1: No, it's a really good question. What? what you have some theories there?
11: Um, not really. I kind of understand how you would, like, grease an elbow of a pipe or a fitting to make it move, or, but I don't, still oh. can't really figure out how mm-hmm. that would mean hard work.
2: Huh, I hadn't even thought of that one.
1: Usually elbow grease just refers to sweat. When you work very hard, you sweat. And, and f- the first citation that I can find for it is from a book of Proverbs from 1670, where they say to smell of elbow grease, meaning to smell of sweat. You have been working hard, and you are covered in this you know, product of your exertions. And so elbow grease is a euphemism, not a euphemism, I guess is an idiom referring to hard work, is just kind of 400 years on. Here we are with the phrase still at play.
11: Yeah, working with your hands, moving yeah, those
2: hands.
1: arms. Yeah.
11: I would have never made that connection. Yeah,
1: it's just, really? it's just sweat. Sometimes it's been a little more abstracted from that, and people kind of forget that it refers to sweat, and it becomes a little more figurative or a little more um, separated from the actual hard labor. Um, like you might talk about a government putting in elbow grease to solve a problem, meaning collectively yeah. they're working on it, and they're not physically working on it.
2: Yeah, I would have thought the grease was more metaphorical, more not per- perspiration per se.
1: In the beginning, at least, it usually came back to real hard work. You might talk about polishing furniture, or the servants polishing the silver. They're actually with using, elbow grease. Using elbow grease. Okay, yeah, so, so, so no
2: th- animals were harmed in the uh, <laughs> production <laughs> for, of this
1: product. Except for the human animal. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> sore joints, a little gout.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you for calling. Yeah. Man. Thanks. Best of luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
1: We'll share some pages from this proverb dictionary on the website. It's pretty cool. They do real it's got page scans. Stuff. And so you can actually see the old fashioned S's and all that kind of thing and the annotations in the side. It's Ooh, I'd cool. like to hear yeah. more,
2: yeah. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. Things have come to a pretty pass. pass That's the end of this week's show.
1: For more Away With Words, including hundreds of episodes, a blog, a newsletter, a dictionary, mobile apps, and conversations with other listeners, go to waywardradio.org.
2: Our phone line is open 24 hours a day, 877-929-9673. Emails great to words at waywardradio.org. We're also on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Google+.
1: Our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, James Ramsey, and Josette Herdell.
2: Away With Words is produced and distributed by Wayward and... Inc., a nonprofit supported by caring listeners and sponsors.
1: Just as we do, they believe in lifelong learning, better human communication, and the value of a thing well said or well written.
2: The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. So long. Bye bye.
3: Let's
1: call the whole thing off. I like potato and I like potato, you like tomato
0: and I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato,
3: tomato, let's call the whole thing off, but oh, if we call the whole thing off,